We are and always will be a nation of immigrants. This is my country, my damn country. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. Old men and women yearning for freedom and opportunity who leave their homelands and come to a new country to start their lives over. We were strangers once too. My country, my damn country. Give me my Hello, 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 aliens and allies. Your friendly Russian is here. This is We the Aliens podcast, and I'm your host, Sasha Kapustina. Thank you for tuning in. Today on the podcast, the second part of my conversation with award-nominated editor and producer Inbal Lesner, and we're talking about her newest TV show, a docuseries that is called Seduced Inside the Nexium Cult. And it premiered on Stars last Sunday, and it's going to air for the next three weeks. So tune in. First of all, a disclaimer slash trigger warning. It is a conversation about a sex cult. Uh, we don't talk about anything graphic, but sex is mentioned. So this episode may not be suitable for young children. Also, rape and coercive relationships are discussed. So... If you have a sensitivity around these themes, listen at your own risk. And again, nothing gory here, but just, you know, heads up. So you have probably heard about the Nexium cult. Uh, it's been in the news for the last couple of years. This multi-level marketing master slave sex cult hiding behind an image of a self-help group. To be clear, several people at the top of Nexium have been found guilty of a number of crimes from credit card fraud to sex trafficking and the leader of the organization, Keith Ranieri, is now awaiting his sentencing. So there's no confusion about the true nature of this organization. So Inbal and I talk Uh, in detail about how people get into it and what happens. And it's a fascinating story. But besides that, I think that this chat can be of value exactly because these things are challenging to talk about. And you can hear me struggling to find the right words a couple of times because there are a lot of sensitive aspects of this. But you need to know about the stuff to be able to recognize the red flags and protect yourself and your loved ones. And another reason this has resonated with me is that what this and other cults exploit is the need to belong and the desire to do good for the world. And I know that for a lot of immigrants, these two will resonate. They sure do for me. These are basically the two reasons I started this podcast. And I call it an audio home for all the aliens because we are by nature seekers. And when you are away from your natural environment, where you're away from your home, it takes time to find ground under your feet and find or build your community. You can feel alone. You can feel that you've made a mistake. You can feel that it's too hard and you will never fit in. You can feel a lot of things that make you vulnerable. And this Nexium organization exploited this. One of the group that they specifically targeted were immigrants or people who wanted to come to the U.S. So a lot of interesting stuff here. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Inbani. 
Our series follows India Oxenberg, who's the daughter of Catherine Oxenberg, who you may remember from the TV show Dynasty. Oh. And her journey as a 19-year-old, she was seduced, lured in to take this self-help program. She thought it would help with her business skills. Our series follows her journey from that initial class as she becomes indoctrinated, then enslaved and exposed. So those are the four titles of our episodes following her journey in, of seven years inside the cult. I've done projects about difficult topics and sexual assault, but this was like on a whole nother level. Like it's one thing to tell the story of somebody who was raped, knew she was raped, and fighting to keep her rapist behind bars, and um, which was the story of Brave Miss World. Here, there was a person who was sexually assaulted and didn't even know she was sexually assaulted because she was so you know, brainwashed and under undue influence that she couldn't even understand what was happening to her. I'm fascinated with the whole thing. So how did this story come to you? What started really as our interest in exploring how women are attracted to high control groups and the coercive control dynamics. Nexium was just in the beginning, a case study early last year, early 2019. We started researching and learning and we thought it was going to be a six month project. Do some interviews and film the trial that was supposed to start of the cult leader. Mm -hmm. You know, the more with these stories, the more you dig, the more you find and the trial ended up getting postponed a few times. And once that got going, there was a lot of more information that came to light during the trial. And it just presented a more deep layered story. And then it was only after the trial that India decided to join us and tell her story. I don't know how, uh, how much we can talk about the plot. I mean, I haven't seen it, so it's a little tricky. Um, but I am really interested in, in that theme of coercive control and consent, because I think it's a very complicated territory. And as you said, there's, there is that place um, of confusion. And, I th and it, it is complicated to talk about in the world of Me Too or post Me Too at this point. Um, it is a difficult territory to navigate where you put any kind of responsibility. Ugh, that's hard. <laughs> I think I know what you're saying. There is, and it was the main issue in the in the trial, explaining to the jury that seemingly everything was done, you know, by consenting adults. Nobody was, nobody had a gun to their head. Nobody was forced to do anything. Coercion is very tricky that way, that it could seem willingful. It seemed like there was consent, but there really wasn't. And specifically in secret master-slave society, in order to be admitted to the group, they had to give three types of collateral. There was financial collateral, so it could be the deed to your house, the password to your bank account, um, some possession over your assets. There was family collateral, so you would have to reveal a family secret or somebody that, something that would be terribly embarrassing and damaging if it came out. And there was photographic collateral, so there were embarrassing nude photos, often close-ups of your vagina. You know, they were told this was for their own growth, for their own benefit, so that 
it would help to hold them accountable. You know, like if you and I decide to go to the gym, you're going to give me $100 if you don't show up. That's what they said the, the collateral was. Make sure that you're going to do what you promised to do. In reality, this was pure blackmail, and it was held over their heads. And that collateral, they thought they were just giving it once to join, but then it became monthly. Oh, my God. They would have to give more of it every month. So there was this growing archive of blackmail material. You know, once you blackmail somebody, there's no consent, no real consent. And the prosecution was able, I think, to prove that. There's no legislation against coercive control in the United States. There's more so in Europe. So the easiest route would have been just to charge them with some financial crimes, a tax evasion, all kinds of white collar crimes. Okay. That was my next question. Like, how how would they prosecute that? This prosecution was really gutsy and they did go for the jugular. They did do the hard work of trying to prove the meaning of coercion. And they were able to prove that there was sex trafficking because women were traveling across state lines to have sexual relations with the cult leader. There was all these nude photos being sent. Uh, that's wire fraud. So they were able to convict Keith Raniere, the cult leader, and he will be sentenced later this month. Can we just quickly go over the process? How, how would people get wrapped into that thing? Because that's always the fascinating, because, you know, when you look at it backwards, you're like, how, how would you get yourself in it? It's just so obvious. It's a scam, but it looks like they were very sophisticated. Yes. I think part of it was that they really took their time. Yes, it was not at all obvious. It seemed like very legitimate company. It had branches all over the world. The LA branch had a number of people in the entertainment industry involved in it. They definitely sought out those people and put them front and center in order to lure others. Because when there's a celebrity involved, one might think, oh, they must have vetted this very well. I may not have to vet this as much. So they were very strategic in micro-targeting those kind of people that can help them recruit more people. And, you know, you would just take a five-day course. It was called a five-day, and that was the intro But if you really look into it, every single class had some nefarious element where everything put together really starts eroding your self-judgment and your self-trust and your your response to your instincts. Okay, so that's the core. The core was somehow you have those limiting beliefs. You have those things that are holding you back. And this program was going to help you overcome those fears and those limitations so you can really be the best version of yourself. And you, you know, you hear that all the time in self, in other self-help programs. So that's, that's nothing new. Yeah. Every other book promises that. (laughs) Yeah. But they were really sophisticated in selling the upper echelon of the organization. Seems like, you know, really legit, educated, very well-connected people. But they've been operating for 20 years until they got shut down. A lot of people say that they took a lot out of it, that it was positive for them. And obviously it has to be some positive in order for people to stick around and spend more money. It was very expensive. Mm-hmm. So the first five day led to, oh, if you just take 11 more, you complete the whole level one class, which was a 16 day. 
Mm-hmm. So some people went were so high on psychological breakthroughs that they had in the first five days that they immediately took a plane to Albany. That's where the headquarters of Nexium was in Albany. And they would immediately take the next 11 days to finish level one, and then they would advance to level two. Even I mean, there's so many parallels. I just watched the Bikram Yogi you know, documentary the other night. There's so many parallels of manipulation. And the biggest parallel for me is like, once you decide to be a coach, which is the equivalent of like studying to be a certified Bikram yoga instructor, you would have to go to him. Well, to which somebody who would be defending the organization would say, of course, we want to have our coaches vetted by the, the guy who is the source of the method. And you as a student want the direct connection like to the guru. And that's us just making sure that we deliver. Yes, they have very good explanation to every little thing. Still, you know, Keith Raniere, convicted on seven counts, sits in jail still writing long explanation of why he was wrongfully accused. He really believes his own dogma. And he still has a group of followers who demonstrate outside his prison in, some, in his support. And it's a really complicated story. You know, it took us a while to really get to the bottom of it and... I hope people learn to identify some of the red flags and mostly to have compassion towards people who fell victim to these kind of groups and were trapped. I think our goal, my goal would be to have people not ask what was wrong about them, but what was so manipulative and evil, you know, of these groups. What did they do to entrap them, to coerce them, to indoctrinate them. Like, I think that's what we should really learn more about, the, the process of coercive control and not just like victim blame or shame. Yeah. Um, and so so what what should people, because as, as you said, like some things look quite similar. I'm, you know, I'm doing, you know, this podcasting thing. There's a bunch of like these podcast gurus who sound from the description kind of similar come take my this class that class and join the mastermind group and oh come to the retreat and there are all kinds of those things floating around and people signed up for these classes clearly just to improve their life and learn something for business and so what could have been those red flags at the earlier stages if there are any that they could have caught yeah, I mean, there's definitely this edification of the leader. You know, Keith Raniere was presented to Nexium students as the smartest person in the world, a scientist, a judo champion, a concert pianist. He was speaking full sentences by the age of one, reading by the age of two. I mean, he was like this, presented as this like incredible prodigy where by the time you met him, you really were so impressed, enamored, just would believe anything that comes out of his mouth. And there's active suppression of any dissenting voices. So any criticism against the group, any criticism against the leader, they had this like Nexium flip, they called it. It was like this technique of just like turning it back against you. Oh, you have a problem with the teaching? What's in you? What is your issue that is making you defiant? And I, I'm not doing justice to it because it was much more sophisticated than this, but mm-hmm. they had this way of deflecting everything towards you. So as you went on, went on with the program, you were 
digging deeper to find what was inherently wrong with you that you keep having to work on and fix. And it was always about breaking you down, breaking you down, not building you up. So I think if it's a real good self-help program, that would be a self-help program that helps you improve your relationship with your family. Like that's a big thing as opposed to a destructive mm. cult that alienates you from your family. They call it in this field predatory alienation. It's intentional separation of the person that's being indoctrinated from their family, their loved ones, friends, anybody who could really give them another perspective. And India was alienated from her mother very methodically. They told her she was living in her mother's shadow because her mother was a famous actress. She had to step out of the shadow and claim her own identity. Keith did that with several people with Uh, he had this special talent for kids of, of famous people. L.A. is such a fruitful territory for that kind of recruitment. I think it's uh, so many, well, any big city, I guess, but L.A. more than others because people come with these aspirations, sometimes not fully even realized with like wanting fame, wanting, wanting this Hollywood glory. Um, well, and the one thing I wanted to, mentioned that connects to your particular pod- podcast is that there were a lot of crimes committed against people of foreign foreign nationals oh. so there are a ton of Mexicans and Canadians in the in this cult the, huh. the largest contingency of Nexium was in Mexico and a lot of them are still active in Mexico and a lot of the crimes were like visa fraud so if you read the sentencing memorandum from the judge about the Uh, Claire Bronfman, who was just sentenced last week, she over and over again got people to come to the United States, applied for visas for them, so promised them this American dream of working for net for this company. They had a lot of sub companies under the next incorporation. They had a, a fitness company, they had a media company, they had the executive success programs that's that's kind of like the intro level programs that everybody came through. Mm-hmm. And so they found these people through the Vancouver Center, which was really active in Canada, or the Mexico City and Monterey Centers. And they would find these young women who wanted to have a career with this international company, and they'd sponsored their visas to come here. But they didn't pay them what was promised. This one woman who gave a testimony, she was not paid what was. Was promised for her under the visa guidelines like what nexium said they were going to hire her for she was here working not getting paid enough basically living in poverty they kept telling her she's not doing enough and it's her fault mm. for not making enough money or for not being successful enough in recruiting others somehow she had to pay back for the cost of her visa and you know the the most horrendous story that we tell in episode three and that came out in the trial was Is that one young woman of Mexican nationality was imprisoned in a room for almost two years there was no lock in the door this was her punishment for an ethical breach that people in the podcast can see I keep doing like air quotes this is the terminology she had committed what they called an ethical breach and her penance meaning her punishment that she was sort of agreed to, to, to take on was to stay in a room and not come out until she somehow repented for and healed this ethical breach. 
like as I said, there was no lock on the door, but she was convinced she had to stay there and be imprisoned and kept doing these like essays and book reports and trying to figure out how she can heal her breach and, and get out. And she was just kept in there. And they threatened her with her visa that she would get deported, that they would just drop her off at the border. And that's what they eventually did. When she couldn't take it anymore, it was almost two years. She was dropped off at the Mexican border without papers, with no money, and was let go that way. And she's now lives in Mexico. Oh. There was a lot of abuse of this idea of the American dream and of immigration laws. You know, it's easier to get somebody who's young, who's here without their families. It's uh, when somebody has control over your immigration status and your visa and your livelihood. It's a huge vulnerability. Like, and, and every person who has gone through immigration process knows how these papers hanging over you is just perpetual cycle of submitting and depending and never knowing and never being sure. And I'm sure that by itself, just, I remember that feeling of never fully having ground under my feet and never being confident fully in what's going to happen. Can I do this? Can I be, I mean, to this day, I, I'm not a citizen. I am a permanent resident. So whenever there's protest, I support from home yeah. because I don't fully feel confident that what if I go to this protest and I get detained for whatever reason uh, with other peaceful protesters. And then there's a line from and then there's a report from the police that I have to attach to my citizenship application. Right. And there are all those like small technical things that make you vulnerable Yes. Um, legally. And if you depend on, from what I understand with these people, they were also depending as employees. Yeah. Employer sponsored visa. I think that's, that's a real, like that we really need to look at that as a society of the, all these employer sponsored visa. I've, I've had friends who had to agree to, yeah, low salaries, well beyond market rate or all kinds of in, strange arrangements as, because they felt indebted to this, to these employers, employers that sponsored their visas. Yeah, I certainly have heard the similar stories. And obviously, they're, they're not everybody's a cult leader, but in this case, it was very nefarious. It was used strategically and intentionally against them. And they, you know, they're all going to jail. A lot of these people are going to jail for it. But there was immigration fraud, visa fraud on, a, on the top tier of what is now considered, you know, a criminal enterprise. And so at the core of it, what was this thing about, this whole cult? I mean, nobody joins a cult. People join a class or a group, and then they feel like they can do, they can be part of a community. I think the community and, and belonging, that's a sense of, of these people having something very unique. And I think one of the most interesting aspects is how they manage to sell it as a feminist, female empowering group where it was really thinly veiled misogyny. It was really fueled by hatred of women and putting down of women. And somehow they thought that that was like, was going to make them stronger to hear the truth about themselves and to face, to do what, what's hard. And it was all abuse. So obviously it's a, it's a radical example. It's kind of like far out there, but I'm sure lighter versions of that exists throughout the society. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not an expert, but there's the self-help industry in this country is out of control and unregulated. And we've heard a lot of stories, self-help hoppers, like they'll, they'll try a program after another, after another, and maybe this one will finally suck them in. This, you should definitely be aware of how to recognize those red flags and those kind of problematic signs where you should you know, stay away, help your friends, stay away, your friends and family. Did you come uh, across any expert that suggests what a family could do in this situation? Because when, once the person is kind of like one foot in, they feel they are getting so much out of it. How do you pull them out? Well, you'd have to watch the show. <laughs> you'd have to watch the show to see how India's mom managed to eventually get her daughter out and so it took mom to do it yeah and uh she kind of did not stop where a lot of other moms did stop so there were a lot of families over the years who attempted to intervene and pull their kids out of this thing as as they do of you know of other cults because um but specifically with this one there were a lot of attempts by you know famous and affluent families to intervene and get their kids out and mm. she just didn't stop She was just so fearless and she risked, she had to make the decision to go public and risk her daughter hating her if she could bring them down. So she took that risk. And I, I think that's a really hard call. Like that's a tough decision to make. I don't know if every mother could make it, but she did. She was like, I, I know my daughter is going to hate me, never, maybe never talk to me again, but I just have to do wow. this. So it's an incredible mother-daughter story. I think it was eye-opening to see that it's a lifelong recovery, you know, like, I don't mm -hmm. know. Some people say, like, you'll never be the same person when you went in. So some wiring will never quite go back. And she was so young that her brain was so um, malleable and uh, prone to being tampered with. And, you know, I don't know that she'll ever be the person that she was before. But I think she's grown into an amazing, wonderful activist. And you'll get to see that transformation in the show. Yeah. Um, do you feel that this story is telling anything about the society in general, about the current state of the society? You know, we have one expert in the series, Steve Hassan, who wrote a book called The Cult of Trump. So I think there's a lot of discussion right now about it's no longer... And he says in, in our show, he says, it's no longer the age of information. It's the age of influence. People don't seem to be to care about the facts or the data. It's like how you spin it and how you use data to influence people. I was, I was kind of uh, thinking more, not so much about the political side of it, but more about the confusion about the roles of men and women and the relationships and with kind of the collapse of so-called traditional family of what it used to be and you know changes in the society with women becoming more independent and taking control of their lives and taking control and you know women's reproductive rights and um, the ability to control their bodies and kind of the backlash of um, misogyny yeah I mean he definitely preyed on that and preyed on women's If you watch episode two, there's a lot of 
um, programs that were gender-based in Nexium. There was the Jeunesse Women's, Women's Only Program, and then there was SOP, Society of Protectors. There was the men, Men's Equivalent, Men Only Program. There were the protectors. And then there was uh, Jeunesse Tracks, which brought women and men together in an attempt to supposedly improve their gender relations and explore the undercurrents of their relationships and the it was all a bunch of really, as I said, thinly veiled misogyny to just get people so confused and fucked up and just hearing these teachings, quote unquote, over and over and over again to the point where one point we illustrate it was the justification of rape and sexual violence because a constant theme in the teachings, in their teachings, was that you choose to see yourself as a victim. Like they were against victimhood. And that can be an empowering concept. Like I'm not going to self-pity. I'm going to be a survivor. But if there are no victims, does that mean there are no perpetrators? And he took away these women's ability to see themselves as victims to the point where, you know, it took India Oxenberg, our protagonist, a long time until she was able to define what happened to her as rape. And that's really evil. That's demonic to temper with people's perception like that, to say there's no such thing as being a victim. You're choosing everything that's happening to you. You know, Nextium is a very extreme example of coercive control, but coercive relationships exist everywhere. And many of us have been in at least one of them. And I think if you watch the show, you might recognize some patterns in your life and people, other people who are close to you that will start feeling, well, is this person really wants my best? Or is it just something he tells, he's telling me so that I would do what he ultimately wants me to do? What were what were the hardest things with this with this project in terms of like filmmaking or production? Seeing how much collateral damage was in all levels of this organization. Yes, India was an extreme case of somebody who went deeply into the kind of heart of darkness and was involved in the most nefarious, horrific aspects of it, or like this inside slave master group. But even women who only took a couple of classes or sort of were on the periphery of this organization, they have lasting damage and impact too. They have a lot of shame. You know, being labeled as a cult person or a sex cult member and accepting that you were in these classrooms and did not object, did not raise your hand and maybe brought other people to this organization who ended up going further than you. It was hard. There was a lot of deeply traumatized people that we worked with and we had to create, we're very proud. It was a story about women told by women. We had women in all key positions and we took extra care in making sure they were safe on set before, during and after filming that we offer them both our support and also professional support, like they could get free counseling if they needed. We made that available for them, you know, down to having sensitivity training with anybody in, on the crew, even a person who's like the sound recordist to not touch mm -hmm. somebody or like put a mic under their shirt in an, without a woman around and without properly asking for their permission, would have everybody on the crew think the person who's on camera for sharing her story and her traumatic experiences. We really were trying to be very respectful of these women who were willing to share these 
stories with us and to make them feel that their healing counts and matters and that we're on their corner and we'll protect their stories. Yeah. That took a lot of energy and, you know, I'm, I'm very proud and glad that we did that, but that was really hard. You know, with India, we needed to make sure she was okay. You know, she wanted to take us on this journey where she confronts all these places where the trauma happened. Yeah. And so that's a, that's a lot to take to go along in this journey and to make sure she's doing it for the right reasons and that she's well, that she's well taken care of, that she's protecting herself. We were helping to protect her. Yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one to follow a person who, who has such, um, flaws in the guard and they don't know always how to protect themselves for you to be watching how to how to navigate that on their behalf in the story uh that's a feat. Yeah, and, you, and she was very open and we wanted to tell the story as openly and truthfully as we could but also to not make it be salacious or exploitative yeah so that's a that's a was an interesting like checking our, making sure there are bond, there's clear boundaries and that we only go as far as we should, we need to go and not an inch more. Um, you know, definitely finishing this under COVID was very, very difficult. As a working mom with two kids at home was a lot. And supervising a whole post team that has, yeah. was moved out of an office to everybody working remotely from home with remote media, that was a challenge. But yeah, I, I mean... Somehow we finished it, we did it, and we're just so excited to have it out there. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. And for the story to be out there and help people see things more clearly mm -hmm. in themselves, in, in their communities, and in their friends, and maybe help someone who might be not even in a cult, but might be in a, in a different kind of a thing, whatever that is. And yeah. those things occur with employees it, it's not always even a lover it, it it can be employee it can be a friend it can be a mentor and i just find that if if a person and as i said if a person has a flaw in the self-defense mechanism they they might find themselves in a series of those and it's really important for a community and to be around them to protect them i just want to point out that it's not necessarily a flaw in the person that is allowing somebody else to abuse them. I mean, any of us could be susceptible for coercion and coercive relationships. It's not necessarily that the victim is flawed. It's hmm. sometimes it's a, it's a transition point in your life or it's, it's a moment yeah. in time or just something that attracts you to another person and they, they slowly manipulate you or erode your confidence to you subjected to some kind of manipulation where there's this yeah. e uneven relationship. So I just want to be careful when we talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I said flaw, I guess it's it's bad terminology. I'm not used to talking about those things. I meant like flaw in the defense mechanism, like a f fault in the defense mechanism, let's say, that occurs for, can occur for. You mean like a blind reasons. spot, like a blind yeah, spot. A blind spot. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a better way to put it. Uh, and yeah, I, I, it's, I think that is also a great example even that finding the right language to talk about it, yes. that is also very important. Um, it sounds like you made all the efforts to create both a good story and the right way of doing that, which is, I think, very valuable because in our industry, a lot of times 
uh, the content is the king and whatever, whatever goes for the sake of the story. No, then that's a conversation when that's a conversation we need to have in this town or in this industry about, especially with this surgeons, you know, surge of, of true crime, what we mm. call true crime documentaries. And it's like we're dealing with real victims of real crimes and we have a responsibility to treat the stories and not just exploit them for viewers and, and subscriptions and uh, downloads or pay-per-view or whatever it is, you know, they have lives and they have rights. And um, I think it comes, you know, if you're lucky, it comes a few times in your career, sometimes just once. But I think when you're trying really hard and work really hard to do the right thing, the documentary gods will smile at you. And I think that was the case. It was a very hard journey and process, but we did come out with something very special that I hope will, um, you know, resonate and, speak to a lot of people so i'm grateful to you and your team for doing this work and i can't wait to see the show we'll see what happens okay sunday at nine sunday at 9 p.m on stars on stars and it's called it's called seduced inside the nexium cult and i'll give you all the links to post fantastic all right Thank you so much, Inbal. Thank you, Sasha. It was a pleasure and an honor, and can't wait to hear the reactions. Yay! That's it for today. I hope it was interesting. I hope it was somewhat fun. I actually have watched the show since we recorded this interview, and it's good. So... Definitely check it out. And one last thing. Do you know anyone who's new in the country? Maybe a couple years, maybe five, and still finding their footing? Or is in a transitional phase in their life? And aren't we all in a transitional phase in our lives these days? I mean, the world as we knew it kind of stopped. And we're all floating around waiting for something. So... Reach out. Let them know you're thinking about them. Just a quick text message it can make a difference, you know. It's tough times. And share the podcast with them. It can be of help, I think. And you'll have something to discuss. I would appreciate. <laughs> and remember, we're here to stay. We'll find our way. Thank you for listening. Love you. Give me my country, you can keep the rest. This is my country, my damn country, and it don't mean a thing.